Hey everyone, thanks for tuning into this week's podcast. My name is Josh and I'm part of the core community of CMYK. We're a bunch of people in Billings, Montana, creating space and community where belief and doubt move forward together. One reason I love CMYK is for the people that are here. Before we jump in, I want you to know everything we do as CMYK depends on a generous donation from our local and online community. People just like you who are working with us to live a more beautiful way forward together. So if you love what CMYK is up to and want to be part of the community on a financial level, we'd encourage you to contribute by going to cmykchurch.com. Through your donation, we are able to continue our work and give away more and more of those in need around us. You can easily give a one-time gift or choose to be a regular part of our creation through a monthly gift of any amount. To those who are giving, thank you. With that, let's jump into this week's talk. Uh, hey, this morning before we jump into it, I really quickly want to mention we've been talking about it in the last couple of weeks, but we have this thing coming up. It's actually next Sunday, September 29th, and uh, every time I talk about this, I try to do everything I can to say, please, 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 if you love me at all, uh, that's really not what I'm trying to say, but I really hope that you would do everything you can to be at this uh, meeting uh, coming up in a couple weeks, or I'm sorry, next week. This is our core community meeting, and the idea that we are is that we are a community. As a church, we are all bringing our voice to this table. We're all bringing our experiences, hopes, beliefs, doubts, whatever it is, and we're bringing it together, and it's out of that that we find beauty, and we find the best way to move forward together. Our world and our lives are filled with different silos where you have everybody who thinks alike, acts alike, talks alike, believes alike, whatever, and you just kind of create these different pockets. And we're trying to do something different. We believe it's the invitation of Christ that we bring who we really are to the table and we find the most beautiful way forward together. And so uh, the only way that works is not because of what I say on a Sunday morning or what's sung on a Sunday morning. The only way that works is when you and I actually bring our voice to the table, and this is the best way to make that happen. So we're going to be talking about some kind of where we're pointed and directing ourselves as a community and and, uh, how we're going to spend some of our resources and energy. Uh, Just some really important conversations that I really, really hope you can be there for. So uh, it's next Sunday at 1.30 p.m. at Yellowstone Valley Brewing. First drink is on us, whether it's beer or root beer, we got you. Um, And it's our hope that you would be there. If for whatever reason you're on the fence and you're like, man, I don't know if I want to sign on the dotted line that, you know, this is something I'm a part of, I get it. But I would just ask, come and just dip your toe in the water, check it out. And if for whatever reason it's not for you, that's totally fine. But I really hope that you would do everything you can, uh, say no to what you need to say no to, to be a part of this. All right, this morning, um, we're going to continue on in our series that we started a couple weeks ago entitled Whole, or Four Questions for Life. And the conversations that we're having the last couple weeks and then uh, the coming weeks is really about these things known as the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're these four texts within the Bible that tell the story of Christ four different ways, if you look at them honestly. And in looking at how they tell the story, what's fascinating is when you don't just zoom in on a specific verse or a specific story about Christ within the gospel, but you actually look at the gospel as a whole, you begin to see that there's a theme. You begin to see that there's a reason, potentially, that these texts were written. It wasn't just that Matthew wrote you know, the gospel and then Luke was like, well, I could do that better. And so he wrote his own gospel and John was like, no, you guys got it way wrong. I'm going to do my own. That wasn't it at all. But there were real people at a real place in a real time, they were asking questions. They were going through life and trying to figure out what is the best way to go through this. 
And as a response to those questions, as a response to what was happening within the community, there was this Christ narrative, this story of Jesus, what he taught, what he went through, that we and anyone who would read these texts would be invited to wrestle with these same things as a response to whatever is going on in our lives. And so last week, the last couple of weeks, we spent uh, looking at the Gospel of Matthew and asking the question, how do we face change when change happens in our life? How do we face that in a healthy way? And then this morning, we're going to look at this gospel known as Mark. So I want to pray, and then we're going to jump into it. Let's pray. God, this morning, it's my hope that in talking about uh, this, that uh, there would be a sense that that this text has meaning, and not for the sake of the text, but for the sake of our time, and for the sake of this belief that many of us are leaning into this morning, that there's, there's a reason to be here. There's a purpose to have conversations about these kinds of things. That this morning for us is not just about jumping through some religious hoops to say that we did something, but that we would collectively lean into these questions, these things that we're dealing with, the joys that we experience, and that we, out of these stories, would maybe be stirred, challenged, encouraged in a way to leave this place and find a more beautiful way forward. It's our hope. That's why we're here. And so we are here this morning and just um, want to be aware of whatever we need to be encouraged or challenged or nudged on this morning. In the name of Christ, we pray and we say together. Amen. So um, it's known that in July of the year 64 AD, there was a fire. And the fire that took place in 64 AD, so a couple thousand years ago, was in the city of Rome. And this fire, which I have pictures for, but apparently have disappeared off of the computer for whatever reason. Yep, they're gone. So there goes all my pictures. All right, it's a fire. Just have a, it's a picture. <laughs> Uh, there was a fire in 64 AD. And here's what we know about this fire. It, it, it uh, ended up destroying two-thirds of the city of Rome. Rome at the time in 64 AD had two million plus people located in it. It was a large city. And this fire ravaged the city for six days. And then they finally got it contained. And then it was ignited again. And after it was ignited again, it burned for another two days, and then finally they were able to stop this fire. It devastated the city. You can imagine 2,000 years ago. I mean, fires devastate our technology and our, you know, what we have as infrastructure. Just imagine 2,000 years ago and the materials they're dealing with and the fire and what it would do to the city. And what's fascinating and important to know is at the time, Rome was ruled by an emperor, and the emperor's name was Nero. And Nero was a guy that he came into power in the 50s, uh, not 1950s, in 50s AD, literal 58, 54 AD is when he came into power. And he was only 16 years old when he came to power. That sounds about right when you're about to rule the most powerful empire in the world. 16 years old feels about right, huh? So he starts this rulership, and what we know about Nero is he actually begins as a kind of decent guy, because at 16, he has some good counselors around him. He's asking lots of good questions <clears throat> and leading in a proper way, in many ways. But at some point, a few years into his leadership, he begins to believe, like most 16-year-olds, 16 16-year-olds, <laughs> I got this, and I don't need anybody else, I got this. 
And so at, at the encouragement of his mistress, what we know historically, he ends up killing his own mother because his mistress told him to. What? I kill your own mother because your girlfriend tells you you should kill her. I know a lot of you know, wives or girlfriends have said, hey, we don't like that person anymore. But to go that far is pretty crazy. On top of that, his number one counselor, Nero, ends up commanding himself to kill himself. And demands it. And so he loses this counsel around him. And he begins to become a tyrant. And one of the things that Nero was pretty committed to when he would speak and kind of his political platform in many ways was he wanted to build Rome, one of the most incredible cities on planet Earth. He wanted to rebuild it in his own image. <clears throat> he had seen what other emperors had done and what they had built. And he believed he had something he could bring to the table that was going to be remembered for who he was. Nero's city, Rome. And so it's in the midst of these fires, and when things finally settle down after a few days, two-thirds of the city is burned, people begin to look at Nero, and they begin to ask the question, did he start the fires? Is he the one that's responsible for starting this thing? And in fact, there's a lot of historical paintings and conversation around the fact of where was Nero when the fire was raging? And there's different paintings that depict Nero on a balcony with a harpist, and he's dancing and celebrating the burning of his own city because he's finally getting his way. He gets to now rebuild and rebuild it in his image. <coughs> Excuse me. And so there's many people that start pointing their finger at Nero and say, this guy is responsible for all the devastation we, as a city of Rome, have experienced. So Nero has to do something as a leader. And he decides, I've got to find a scapegoat. Because I can't, I can't be the one to blame for this. I want to rebuild the city, but I can't be the one to blame. So he finds this small community of people, only a couple percentage points when it comes to the entire population, known as the Jews. <clears throat> and the Jews have experienced no fires. They, their, their homes, their land was not ravaged at all by the fire. And so they're a very easy target. Well, the reason that they're an easy target and the reason that no fires touch them is because they're on the outskirts of the city. They're in the slums. And on top of that, there's a river that runs between the city and where the Jews were found. So, of course, it's kind of hard for a fire to jump a river a lot of times. And so, of course, their area of the city was not ravaged. But politically, Nero found it really easy to say, I didn't start the fires. Who didn't start the fire? It was those guys. It was the Jews. They're responsible. Well, what had happened is the Jews had found themselves continually at tension with this Roman government. And 10 years prior, they had been kicked out of the city of Rome, all Jews exiled out of Rome. So people had to leave their homes, leave their neighborhoods, leave their comfort, and just they're just kicked out of the city. Go figure it out, which 2,000 years ago, culturally speaking, was a death sentence in many ways to be kicked out on that level. And so 10 years ago, they'd finally been welcomed back into Rome, back into their homes. And here they are once again, and Nero's pointing the finger at them. And these Jews, they know, they know what's coming for them. They know they have the potential to be exiled again. And so they're left with this question, what do we do? And we don't know specifically what happened, <clears throat> but we know at some point, potentially a group of Jews or something influenced Nero and influenced Rome to no longer blame the Jewish people as a whole, but there was this small sect of Jewish people known as Messianic Jews, Christians, people who adapted the Christ story, the Jesus Christ story, to their life and belief system. 
And whether it was a group of Jews that knew that Nero was coming for him, so they go and they, you know, convince him, hey, it wasn't us as a whole, it was just this smaller sect of us, these Christians, they're the ones that are responsible for the fires. Point the finger at them. All we know is something changed and Nero hated Christians and he believed that what they needed to do was get rid of Christians because they were to blame for the fires and everything else that was happening. And so we find historically... There's this moment in Rome where Roman soldiers are knocking on every door within this Jewish community in the city of Rome and asking the question, are you a Christian? And if their answer was yes, they would be dragged out of their home into the city square, essentially. They would be, have blood thrown upon them, and then rabid dogs, starving dogs, would be loosed upon them for them to be killed by these dogs for the whole community to stand around and watch like theater. That's if you said yes. If you said no, it was demanded of you, okay, you say you're not a Christian, so what you must do in this moment is tell us who is. Give us a name, and we're not going anywhere until you give us a name. And if you don't give us a name, we're just assuming you're covering for somebody, so you're dead anyways. And so what we find is that Jewish people found themselves in this place of either I confess to something that's going to kill me or I betray my brother. I might not be a Christian, but I'm still at this place of within the Jewish community. This is my brother, my sister, my family member within this community. And I have to name names and say it's, it's Jim. And what would happen is if the minute I named a name, the Roman soldiers would leave, go to Jim's house and drag him out and kill him without any trial. He had no chance because he had been named. And so here we have this community of people. Every door is being knocked on. Are you a Christian? If yes, you're murdered. If no, tell us who. Betray your brother so that we can then go murder him. This is a community of people that is in deep, deep suffering. And so you have this community that is asking this question of how do we respond to suffering? How do we deal with this, 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 this story and this narrative that's been handed to us? How are we supposed to process this? And what we see, we just heard about it, is that there are these responses that are found. That there are those that would deny, I'm not a Christian, I'm not a Christian. It's not me because there's suffering there and I don't want to deal with it, so it's not me. And you just deny that this could happen to you and that this will happen to you. There were those that deserted. They tried to flee Rome. And Nero was pretty hot on their tail many times. He wasn't going to let them flee. They were responsible for the fires. So I'm coming after you. He had to show his strength as emperor. And that there were those that would blame. In other words, I didn't do it. I'm not a Christian. But they did. And what I find fascinating is when it comes to suffering in our own lives, Whatever the degree and whatever the level of suffering, how often is this not our experience when it comes to suffering? That you and I can choose to deny that there's something happening. Maybe it's internally, maybe externally, relationally. Maybe it's financial, whatever it is. And there's this potential for us to look at that suffering, experience that suffering, and to just deny that it's actually there. It's not a problem. It's no big deal. I got this. We're experiencing potentially these emotions and this pain and we just continue to tell ourselves, nope, 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 don't need to deal with it, don't need to deal with it. And we just deny it away. How many of us experience this desire when suffering is present to just desert, to run away, 
to not deal with that relationship anymore, to just change jobs, to just move out, to just go to another city, to go to another town, because then I don't have to deal with it. And we just desert, we just change things, believing that that's going to avoid this suffering. And how many of us know the tendency or see the tendency in our world today when suffering is present to blame? That it's their fault. It's their, it's their fault. If they weren't a part of the, the picture, if they just didn't vote like that, if they just didn't act like that, if they just didn't try like that, whatever it is, it's their fault. And whether it's someone in your home or someone on the news, someone of a different skin color, that we find this tendency within humanity and our history to find someone to blame for our suffering and say, this is the reason things aren't going the way that we want them to go. How many of us know what it's like to deal with suffering with these kinds of processes? This is the community that we find in Rome. These Christians, these Messianic Jews, and they're in the place of suffering, and this is what they see as their options for how to deal with this suffering. And it's in the midst of that that we see this gospel, this story and narrative of Christ begin to arise, this gospel of Mark. And what's interesting is Mark, in its gospel telling of Jesus, works very hard to communicate you are not in the midst of your suffering. As these people are truly suffering, you are not to be one that deserts, that denies, or that blames. But there is a way through this. And at the core of what this story of Mark is about is this question of how do we move through suffering? How do we move through suffering? Because all of these options, when it comes to suffering, it's not moving through suffering. It's not getting to the other side of it. If you've ever experienced anything, to deny suffering is not to progress at all. It's actually just kind of, it just stays stuck there. And to continue to experience the suffering, but to continue to tell yourself, it's no big deal, it's no big deal, it's no big deal. Meanwhile, you're continuing to find yourself in that state. To desert, many of us, again, we've tried to run away, change this, move that, but we're not actually dealing with it or processing it or moving through the suffering and wherever we go, there we are. There's those issues again. Many of us know what it's like to carry, whether relational pain and suffering that we carry. Rather than moving through it, we just continue to carry it for years and years and years. And then that name comes up, whatever it is. And there's this part of our lives that's still struggling, still suffering because of what's been done to us or because of what we've done. We're not actually moving through it. We're just stuck in this place. And to blame while there might be some blame to go around, yes, but to blame and to find a scapegoat for the reason why you're suffering, it never moves you through it. It's a life spent always looking for the other, the enemy, the reason. And you yourself are not actually moving through anything. You are just stuck always looking for that person. It's the hipsters. If it, we just didn't have these hipsters, this city would be much better. I don't know who I'm being right now, okay? I just need to be honest. I'm sorry. But that came up. Cold medicine, all right? There's this tendency to think, and that's a joke, but all of us know, as a joke, the, the, the bracket of people you could put in there. And we know people, and we know the tendency in ourselves. I'm just, it's those people. They're the ones, they're the problem. Would someone move the mouse back there? I'm sorry. This is... Tech 101 is going on a great. This is my screensaver. All right. Okay. Thank you very much. <clears throat> so the question is, how do we move, actually move through suffering? 
And this is where the gospel of Mark comes in, and it comes in with this profound and important and significant work, and it's simply this. We're not to do any of those things. We're simply to be honest. Now, if you've been around CMYK for very long, you've heard us talk about this. In fact, I think one of the things that we as a community are really, really good at is this work of honesty. But the question can be, okay, if this is how we move through suffering, if this is the invitation of the gospel of Mark, so, so that's just it, huh? We just got to be honest. And so I'm suffering. I hate my life. I did it. Am I moved through it? Am I better? And many times we can feel like that's what this invitation is. And this is where the gospel of Mark becomes really important because it actually starts to line out what, it, what this honesty is to look like and approach. And so real quickly this morning, what does the gospel of Mark have to say when it comes to be honest? It starts out with this phrase. This is the very first language that comes in this gospel. It says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now for us, that just sounds like a nice introduction. But here's what we've got to remember. These people are suffering. These people are fearful that a knock is coming on their door at any minute, and they're going to be forced to deny, blame, or desert. This is all they've got. And in the midst of that, in the midst of this suffering community that is fearful for their lives, here's this text that's handed around going, the gospel, which as you may know, translated means the good news. (laughs) That's a horrible PR campaign in the midst of that. The good news. These are the first words in this text. Anybody in Rome who's interacting with this text is going, what the heck are you talking about? The good news. There's no good news to be found. This is pain. This is suffering. How could you? But for me, and I think for us, we've got to see there's something really significant within this introduction of the Gospel of Mark. There's good news. There's suffering. Yes, be honest. But in the midst of that honesty, we must recognize good news. So for me, honesty is found. We move through suffering by leaning into hope. Here's what I mean by that. I believe that honesty is easily found on some sort of spectrum. That you can find yourself, if you're being honest about whatever's going on in your life, relationally, financially, in your own head, your heart, your health, whatever it is, There's a tendency to find ourselves on some sort of spectrum. And the spectrum is this, that despair, you find yourself in this place that despair simply defined is that every day is going to be like today. You're going to wake up tomorrow and it's going to be the same level of suffering that you're experiencing today. And you're going to wake up the day after that, same level. And that is the rest of your life. You might not use that kind of language, but you experience that kind of feeling. This is where I am. Despair. And many of us are fearful of actually being honest with what's... What is going on with the technology this morning? All right, I'm sorry. Uh, We find ourselves in this place that if I'm honest, if I'm honest about what's really going on, then this is where I'm going to get caught. So I can't be honest because that means day after day after day. And so this is where denial or blame or deserting comes in because we don't want to be found in despair. And what this gospel of Mark is introducing is this idea. No, there can be this other spectrum of honesty. It's called hope. And many of us in this room potentially have experienced hope in a way that felt cheap. It felt like just a word you're throwing on top of something. You know, it's just this pile of poo and you're putting cake frosting on it like hope. And it's like, no, there's still poop there. And this is what it can feel like sometimes. What the Gospel of Mark introduces is, okay, let's be honest. Let's be fully present. 
and acknowledge what's happening. But there's a lens in which we can see and experience what's happening. And we can understand this is horrible, this is painful, I hate this. And we can choose to either lean into, and this will always be this way, or we can choose to lean into, it sucks, yes, but today is not going to be like every other day for the rest of my life. And I don't, that doesn't give me a timetable, that doesn't give me a fix-it manual, but it gives me a place to lean. It gives me a way to interpret and see how I'm experiencing this level of honesty. So the first thing these followers of Christ are invited to do, the first thing we're invited to do when it comes to being honest is to ask the question, what kind of lens, what kind of leaning are we bringing to our honesty? Because it matters. So many studies have been done when it comes to just physically, when someone is in a place of hope, what that does to the human body. It's not the magic bullet, you know, that's going to fix everything and save everything, but it changes the way we experience the world around us. And this gospel starts out with, yes, there's suffering, but don't allow it to find on this end. Allow yourself to experience hope. There's good news. Today is not going to be like the rest of your life. There's more to be found. From there, the gospel moves on and introduces this story of John the Baptist. And what's fascinating is the gospel of Mark has no telling of the birth of Jesus. There's no manger. There's no donkeys. There's nothing. It just jumps right from this good news into this guy, John the Baptist. And this is what he did. It says, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. The first thing that we see when it comes to an interacting with a person in this gospel is not Jesus. It's not baby Jesus. It's not Mary. It's this guy, John. And the invitation for this community that's suffering is this guy, John, in the wilderness saying, hey, come and repent. Come and confess your sins. Again, loaded language for many of us that grew up in church. But the idea is this. The invitation is, hey, this honesty and this process of moving through suffering, it comes at a point when you and I can begin to examine ourselves. That being honest is an internal working to say, okay, are there places and ways that I'm at fault? Are there areas that I need to ask for forgiveness for? That it starts there. And then we're honest about the role that we've played. This is not the blame game if they would just. This is an invitation to say, yeah, I've got some ownership here. It might not be everything, but I've got some ownership here, and I need to own up to that and do the work in that. Again, many of us are fearful to be honest because we're afraid to recognize and raise our hands and say, I'm at fault here. I had a part to play in the suffering that I'm experiencing. And however small or however large, this is an important piece to actually move through suffering. I played a role here. I love the way Alexander John Shia he puts it, he says this, John the Baptist calls us to repent our sins, to scrutinize our lives, recognize the core source of our pain, acknowledge appropriate guilt, correct our heart and mind through asking for forgiveness, and then move on. So there's this work, yes, but then I love that last point. He says, and then move on. It's so significant. Because it's what we see within the gospel of Mark, that John shows up, repent, Ask for forgiveness, go through this process, self-examine, 
But then he immediately, right after that, jumps into this. And it says, and John preached, saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I've baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In other words, John's saying, there's a process here. Yes, but guess what? There's something coming that's far greater and far better. In other words, move on from this. Don't get stuck in this. And the reason I want to take just a second on this is because many of us know within Christianity in particular, the tendency for this whole belief system and this whole idea of Jesus to be about sitting in this place of feeling guilty and feeling horrible and feeling wrong. And that's what being a Christian is. Hey man, you want to come and be a part of a community where we sing a bunch of songs about how awful and wretched and horrible you are and God hates you and probably wants to burn you in hell, but it's okay because he killed someone, so you're good. Like, that's just this thing that's like, what's happening? And many of us know what it's like to show up to church or to show up to some sort of religious experience and spirituality and think that that's what healthy spirituality is. How wretched and awful I am. There's There's a process, yes. And part of that process is examining yourself. In the AA community, they would call it taking inventory. Asking yourself, okay, what's going on in here? And who do I need to ask for forgiveness from? Who am I angry at and upset at that I've been carrying around and maybe I haven't named before? We examine ourselves. Yes. But the point of Christianity, I believe, the point of healthy spirituality and moving through suffering is that we then move on. We might need to come back to this place, yes, but we don't get stuck here. We move on, and it's exactly what John does. He says, okay, now there's something coming. There's something coming, and this is what's significant. So we've got to learn to examine yourself. From there, the gospel takes this really interesting journey of Jesus teaching parables, and there's some traveling things that happen we'll talk about. But towards the end of the book, there's this interaction that Jesus has with his followers. Jesus has these 12 guys, the disciples that have been following him for a while. And he has a question for them towards the end of Mark. It says, and Jesus went on with his disciples to the village of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ. Now, for a Jewish person, this is incredibly loaded language. Peter is saying in this moment, you are the Messiah. You are the one that's here to save and make everything better. You're it. It's huge within the Jewish community. They've been waiting for this person for generations and generations and generations. And Peter here is admitting, and the Jewish readers are reading this saying, okay, this is it. This is the Messiah. This is the Savior that we've been looking for. And Jesus strictly charged them to tell no one about him. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. I love it. So Peter says, you're it. You're going to save us. Jesus immediately moves into, okay, yes. And then he starts to talk about, and then I'm going to suffer, and I'm going to die, and things are going to go horribly, and things are going to go wrong. There's going to be a lot of pain involved. I love that Mark adds. And he said it plainly, like there was no flowery language. And then this is the response. And Peter, one of the leaders within the group, took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. Peter, who just confessed and said, you're it, you're the Savior, you're going to fix everything. When he hears that this Savior that's going to fix everything is actually going to be tortured, suffer, and there's pain, there's hardship, he doesn't like that. And he chooses to take Jesus aside and say, no, that's not okay. Because you're the Savior, you're here to make everything better. 
And Jesus responds to this. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but the things of man. There's something within our humanity when we think about healthy spirituality. We have this idea of God, that God is going to be this thing that's going to save us from all suffering. Everything's going to be better because God showed up. And what we see in this moment, what we see throughout the gospel of Mark over and over and over again, is that is not the case at all. That is not the picture that's painted of God or the divine at all. And so what we see, if we're going to move through suffering, I think we also need to see the divine, not Captain America. Because if we're honest, this is what many of us want in some sort of God or divine being. That we're suffering, we're in pain. I don't like this. And then the doors break open and there's this, you know, beautiful, just strong man. Let's say man. It could be a woman. It's fine. But this strong being that comes in with a shield and a mask and just, we're, we're saved. We did it. Yay. Thank you. And for many of us, this is what spirituality has looked like, waiting for God to burst through the doors and to save us. And this is not the story of Mark. The story of Mark is Jesus saying, no, this God is actually, there's, there's suffering, there's pain involved. Because we're moving through something. We're not getting stuck. And part of life and part of all of this in a healthy way is learning to move through these kinds of things. And in fact, there's these two stories. One where Jesus is in the boat and there's a storm around the disciples. Disciples are terrified. And Jesus wakes up and says, why are you so scared? There's another story where Jesus walks on water in the midst of a storm. He's joining his disciples and he's about to pass by the disciples in the boat as he's walking on water and his disciples are terrified because they see Jesus walking on water. And Jesus asks again, why are you so afraid? There's this idea that they're suffering, there's pain. And so God isn't here. And Jesus shows up and says, why do you think I'm not here? I'm actually walking around you in the midst of this. I'm actually been pre-. like, And in fact, what's fascinating about the Mark story is that Jesus is the one that tells them to go both times in the boat when there's the stormy seas. The part of healthy spirituality is allowing yourself to be led through suffering. And not sit on your hands and wait for the divine or God to just show up and fix everything. But to take a deep breath, to be present, and to change whatever it is. And then to work to see the divine in the midst of suffering, walking around the storm. And not be terrified by it, but to just understand this is, a, this is a part of the process. And to allow yourself to continue to be led through suffering. Not just, no, nah, God, no, divine, nothing. And write it all off. And then last but not least, there's this moment towards the very end of the gospel. It says, when they had sung a hymn, Jesus and his followers went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, you will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. This is Jesus right before he goes to the cross, and he has a message for his followers. And it's just a really encouraging, like Coach T kind of moment that he gets to look his disciples in the eye, huddle up. He says this, you're all going to fall away. (laughs) Break. It's a fascinating thing that Jesus recognizes from day one of this whole story and this journey, perfection. It's not a thing. And Jesus just looks him in the eye and says, you got to, if you're going to go through this in a healthy way, understand that you got to give up on perfection. 
Many of us know what it's like to be honest, to confess something to a loved one or to ourselves. But then a week goes by, a month goes by, a year goes by, and we feel like we're still in the same place. We feel like we're still struggling. We still feel like we're still suffering, and we're ashamed of it. And so we stop being honest. We stop talking about it. We stop going there. Because we've convinced ourselves of this idea that perfection is, I I should be there by now. I should have this figured out by now. It's a gospel of Mark that would just, all right, huddle up, everybody. You're all going to fall away. The divine, God knows that, does not expect anything like that out of us. But to move through suffering is to just be honest wherever you are, continually. And to own up to, yeah, I'm still dealing with this. I know I talked about this months ago, but I'm still there. I don't feel like, in fact, I feel like I've gone backwards. But I want to move through suffering, whatever it is. I want to move through this thing rather than get caught and stuck. And part of that is I got to give up on this idea of perfection for myself and how you view me and perfection of how I view myself. Whether it's you looking at me or me looking at me, that I just give up on this idea. And I just got to continually be honest. Many of us know what it's like to have a vulnerability hangover, as Brene Brown would say it, where we are just fully honest. And we wake up the next morning, we're like, what did I do? And we're afraid to go there again. To move through suffering is to continue to be honest. This moment with Jesus and his disciples, you will all fall away, is right after this meal is introduced. That he invites his followers to say, hey, this thing that I'm a part of, this how do you move through suffering, this story of Mark, is something we are all invited to partake of. And the suffering Savior, Christ, in Mark, body broken, bloodshed, come and be a part of this. And let's move through this together that we can see and find new life and resurrection. This morning we come to this table, and it's the same thing that's been happening for thousands and thousands of years. To ask yourself the question, are you moving through suffering? And I'm not here to say like, all of you are suffering. Did you know that? And if you're not, then something's wrong with you. No. Some of you may be doing great. Way to go. But wherever you are and whatever is going on, to understand that suffering is a part of this life. And the invitation of Christ and healthy spirituality is to actually move through it. And if we're going to do that in a healthy way, we have to be honest. And that looks like this. And I think it's important to note that Jesus invited this to happen in the context of community. Honesty is something that is internal. Yes, examine yourself. But it's also external. It's both eternal, if you will. And that's what this meal is about. We are coming to be honest with ourselves and with each other because this is what moves us through whatever it is that we're going through together. A more beautiful way forward together. Thanks again for tuning in. As always, if there's anything we can do for you, please reach out on social media or through our website at cmykchurch.com. Also, while there, you can figure out more about who we are, where we're headed, and how you can get plugged into or give with this unique experimental church. Have a great week, and we hope to see you soon.